0: Good morning everyone, welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Allie and I'm one of the ministers on staff here. Um, Whether you're a longtime member of the Calvary community or a guest with us for the first time or the second or third time, we're just so glad that you've joined us for worship on this final Sunday of February. So if this is your first time with us, please take the time to fill out a visitor card that's on the back of the pew Um, and this gives us a way to follow up with you to get to know you and just provide you information about who we are and some things that we do Um, and that's also a way to share with us ways that we can be with you in prayer and that goes for members as well if you have a prayer request um, and you'd like for us to know about that and be with you and praying in that please write that down and turn it in during the offering and we will be praying for you and let you know that we're praying for you about that. Um, And if you're someone who attends regularly, um, we also invite you to look for visitors in your midst and be sure and smile at them and talk to them and share with them about this place, who you are and what you do as well. So today is the last day of a series that we've been journeying through together. um, And that's been on our kind of communal identity. Um, And so our topic today will be kind of salvation but I hope that today you'll be challenged to think about this idea of salvation in a different way. So about three years ago, right before I began working at Calvary, I started a book, Um, and that book was Nelson Mandela's autobiography, Long Walk to Freedom. And I'm really sorry to tell you that that book took me about a year to complete. Um, Seminary reading obviously got the best of me there, but two years later, I'm still struck by a quote that I read, and I think it has a lot to do with what we'll talk about today. He says, I am fundamentally an optimist. Whether that comes from nature or nurture, I cannot say. Part of being optimistic is keeping one's heads pointed towards the sun, one's feet moving forward. There were many dark moments when my faith in humanity was sorely tested. But I would not and could not give myself up to despair. That way leads, lays defeat and death. So how do we live in this place, in this world? Do we let the dark moments overcome us or do we lift our heads up and do we move forward? I think we can all agree that salvation is much more than optimism versus pessimism. But salvation is about whether or not we follow the way of life that defeats death. So let us worship together this day in this place with our heads up and our eyes planted forward. And we have some very special guests with us this morning. And so I, I'm actually gonna invite all the children to come forward so they can hear from some people that are from a different country.
1: So just join, join us up here. Okay. And you can stand up if you want to today. We won't be here very long today. Um, I have with me today some very special friends. Some of you know that Randall and Isaac and I sometimes travel to Kenya, Africa, and on those trips we have worked and, and cared about these friends that I have with uh, that we have with us today. So I want first of all you to um, hear them introduce themselves, and then you'll hear more about them and about the really important work that they're doing in their country today during worship.
2: Hello, good morning. Good morning. How are you? My name is Zippy.
3: Hello. How are you? Good. Good. My name is Daniel. You know about that name? Okay. My name is Daniel.
4: Hi. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, OK, I'm um, Viola. Have you ever heard of a name by Viola? Have you ever? <laughs> OK, I'm Viola. So Kenya,
1: Africa is a really long way. And I bet you all know where that is because you study. Maybe some of you study it in school. But I've marked on this right here, if you want to see, this is where Kenya is. OK, can you see? I kind of marked it there. Can you see it? Let's see, I can't see it upside down very well, but how about if you help me out here? So here is Africa, the whole continent of Africa, and one of those countries right there, can you see it, is Kenya. And the city of Nairobi, Kenya, is where they live. Now here's Africa, and we have to go a pretty long way to get to our country. So I'm kind of trying to scoot the globe around here, and there we are in North America. Look how far away that is. There's North America, and all the way over here, look, half half the world away is Africa. So you might look that up. Your parents could help you um, if you need it, if you don't already know where it is. Okay, so um, this morning we want to think about that. Although Africa is really far away, People, or God, loves people in Africa just, and cares about people in Africa just like he does all of us here in Waco, Texas. So to help us remember that, we're going to sing a song as you walk back to your seats. You'll know this song, but you have to sing it with me, okay? He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. In his hands. We can walk to the seats. You can walk to the seats. World in his
5: God, be the glory, great thee. redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer the, the promise, promise of God. God. God the vilest offender who truly, truly believes the moment from Jesus, the pardon received. Praise, praise the Lord, Lord. Praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. O oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has.
3: Great things he hath taught us, great things he hath done, and greater rejoicing through Jesus the Son,
5: but pure and higher, and greater will be
6: our wonder, our
5: transport, when Jesus we see. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father.
7: I stand before this gathering of your people and ask that you remind us of the occasions and the means and the ends of our salvation I confess that I neglect this and I neglect you who shimmer as an electric cloud and overshadows this universe and countless others I know my salvation means that I'm called to be changed by your glory but I forget what I'm saved for salvation so easily becomes a sin confessed, a prayer prayed, a ticket punched, and then I rush off on my own program of self-actualization and enlightenment. But salvation is both momentary and ongoing. As the Church Father Origen so firmly believes, salvation is a process of being consumed, consumed by goodness, consumed by love, consumed by glory, so that you are in us indeed, that you are in all, and all is in you. This morning, remind us of what it means to be saved. It's your heart in our chests. It's your breath in our lungs. It's your spirit, relentlessly making us like you. Amen.
5: the darkness you give all you restore every heart that is broken and grace grim- so oh. Sing.
6: you were privileged during the Sunday School time to be a part of hearing our friends from Kenya talk a little bit about their lives and the way that God is working among them. But many of us were not able to be there. Brenda and I first met Zippy and Daniel Sindio in 2005, and if you were part of the group earlier you heard a very skewed story about that from Zippy uh, uh, that's only half true, but we can talk about that later. But we've had the wonderful privilege of knowing these fine people for the last 12 years. Daniel is retired uh, and was, before retirement, the director of Kenya Parks and Wildlife. And so he was head of all of the many beautiful parks in the country of Kenya. Zippy was a professional tour guide. And our newest friend, uh, Viola, is a young woman that we have had the privilege of being connected to since, in different ways since 2007. And we'll learn a little bit more about her story in a moment. In 2007, we visited a remote village in the Pokot area of Kenya called Camoleon. And when we were visiting that village, Zippy happened to be along with us. And when we were going through the school, getting to see the school and getting to see the children there, it was obvious to Zippy, not to us uh, in our naivete, that there were no, child, no girls in school past the fourth grade. So maybe. Uh, three or four girls in the second grade, two or three in the third grade, maybe one or so in the fourth grade, and by fifth grade there were absolutely no girls at all. What we learned from Zippy and her connecting to the people there was that this community practices what is called female genital mutilation and girls were circumcised um, when they reached puberty and then they were married at the age of 10 or 11 and then uh, in a few years they might have several children. And so we were married off for a dowry to often older men, often the second, third, or even the fourth wife of these um, older men. We were challenged to help to support some girls from this community to go and receive an education otherwise so that they could eventually come back and help this community to uh, live a different life and we think a better life. Viola was one of the first four girls that the group from Baylor eventually supported. We've now supported 12 girls through the years, and Viola is the first one to graduate from high school, and she's the first one from her community, the first woman from her community, to graduate from high school. And not only was <clears throat> Viola privileged to graduate from high school, but in a, in a school, of, a high school, a secondary school of over 500 girls, nearly 600 girls, Viola was the president of the school, and in that school she was the highest achieving academic student. In Kenya, uh, life is a little bit more difficult than it is here. When you visit a classroom in Kenya, every child in school will be ranked the smartest kid, the school kid with the best grades gets the seat by the door. And then they go across, and then at the last in the corner is the um, least clever child, as Zippy would say, but the child who does the least in school. So Viola was not only the top in her class, but the top in her school, which is a brilliant and wonderful thing. Zippy and Daniel are, in my assessment, choice servants of God. They are people who follow Christ deeply. They are humble and submissive to God in everything that I've ever observed. They are willing to listen to the urges of God and they are always keen to try their best to discern what it is that God might be saying in their lives. I would describe them as humanitarians extraordinaire with a whole big dose of God in the midst of all of that. And so I want simply to ask them a question this morning, all three of our friends. What is a way or what are some ways that you see God Working in your life, Sippy.
2: Good morning, everyone. Yeah, God is really a real God. He's a faithful God to us. Um, while we are here, is a miracle by itself. Um, <coughs> we have seen God working. When we went to Komolion, as, as uh, Randall said. It was difficult. It was difficult even to see the girls, to see how they are, to see young girls about 12 years carrying children as mothers. And immediately, I knew there was something going on here. And when we visited the, class, the classrooms, that is when we realized what Randall has just said. And I was a little bit disturbed. So that is when uh, I had a, a meeting with the girls. And this was all God's guidance. It was lo- God's guidance even for us to meet Randall. And for Randall to suggest we go to that village. I didn't know the village. I knew the village through Randall. So God sent Randall to come and make us know Komolion. So I have seen him in many, many ways, his blessings, that we have this young girl here from Komoleon. Many people won't understand until you are there. That is when you can understand what I'm talking about. God is God. He's a faithful God to us.
3: Um, I prefer being on my feet. Uh, in case I have to run. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, I think uh, Randall has summarized uh, g- given us a summary of uh, given you a summary of what we have been doing. But before I go into that one, I think I'd like to, to make a confession. The last time I entered into a lecture room, well looked like a lecture room, this one also, uh, was in Colorado, uh, Fort Collins. Uh, uh, Fort Collins, CSU. And I'm very happy that today here, sitting here, I met a lady, a beautiful lady and her husband who tells me we were in college the same year in 1964. Where are you? Where were they? There there. Thank you very much, you made my day today. Okay, now, I, I'll, Zippy has put everything else in the right perspective about Comolion and what, what, why we are here. But I'll tell you about me and Zippy, what brought us to be in this kind of uh, line of humanitarian ground. When we retired, both of us retired. I retired from the government service. She retired from, not quite from tourism, but she had to to close down. She had to slow down for a couple of years. We decided to build our own uh, home in our rural area, back where we were born. I mean, that is, you wouldn't want to see that, but we decided to go and live there. We had been away from our birthplace for many years going to school, work in government. We were already in an urban area for for a long time. But the moment we decided to go back there, we put up a kind of residence that uh, we thought like moving our our home from the town to the village. Uh, It was a house, about four bedrooms. She wanted a, a house of four bedrooms. I asked her why, because it's only both of us. She said, no, I don't know but some, some other people might come. You know, that is interest to me. Now, I said, which other people? We have four grandchildren. They are all over where they are. They are not going to be coming here to stay for a week. They don't even probably like this place at all. And she said, no, let's do it. I said, right, fine, we'll do it. Now, within a, a, a period of about one year, our community realized immediately, there are some newcomers in our own children. Our own people have come back and they are living with us. That alone meant that they would come, we are almost like the situation where this girl came from. They realized that there is a lady here, particularly the women, the village women, whom we can talk to and who can help us, who, who we can understand her and she can understand us. We are one people. And then she would go out visiting. Then she came across this number of girls who had dropped out of school. They had all been put through uh, uh, FGM. Some have left school at standard five and six, and they're on, the, on their way to early marriage. That disturbed her quite quite a bit. And then at one stage, little girls, very young ones, would come home to a place who were neighbors and come and look for food. These were the times when AIDS was a real menace, a killer. And we'll have a lot of children coming around. We'll know that so-and-so has passed on. That is a widow. That so child, children have nothing. In that kind of circumstances, she ended up having first four children, six, eight, ten, living in a house. And she told me, I told you, children will come. I mean, it was was just wonderful. And it kept coming. When they were 14, we had nobody else to support us. We got somebody else who came around and said, okay, surely you can carry this burden all along. And they started giving us food from various places. Until a time came when we were approached by another organization saying, we would help you now. You can relax, rest. We'll feed these children. And you can, Zip, you can stay here look after them. Well, We said, all right, but as the number grew, we decided we were building this place for these children. We didn't know, but we moved out. We left our house and went back to a house in in, in town where you found us, uh, Randall, and uh, that home now, we handed it over to another organization and there are about 120 Maasai girls living there, and we can't regret. That is how we, we, we became so interested. We realized we can give what we have without making a sacrifice to a point where we are in need ourselves. And we are very proud of that. So when Randall, and we, we all sing, God moves, uh, moves in his Mysterious way his wonders to perform. They came. Uh, Baylor University Men Choir came. So we extended our operation through the process that uh, Zippy has just explained. Now we are almost residents of the place where these girls come from. The other home is running, but with other people, it's nothing to do with us, but we handed it over, and that's a completely different organization. We said, now that we are here, let us give what we have. What we have is energy, we can move around, um, we, can, uh, we can give children love like this, and that is in- inexhaustible. So that's why we are, because we, are reali- we, are re- we realize that we have something we can give, which without losing anything at all. And that's why we are here, and it is now, it's now about 20 years that we have been doing this. Thank you. Uh, good
4: morning. Good morning. Praise God. <laughs> That's how we say in Kenya when, you, when you're in church. You say praise God and people respond, amen. <laughs> okay. I'm Viola. As you heard, I'm a Pokot girl. Uh, I come from a village called Komolion. Randall has said briefly about me. Okay, God has, has done so many things to me. Uh, maybe I can mention one, two, but I cannot tell it all because God had really worked in me and has done so much things to me. First of all, me being here is God's plan. God's, I don't know how to say, but it is, it is because of God that I'm here. Again, getting educated. Maybe if it wasn't for the men's choir sponsorship, I could be an illiterate woman. Not a girl, a woman. Get me right. <laughs> maybe a woman of four to five children. I might have looked much older. Because even my age right now, they are very much old. When I try to compare myself to them, I, maybe you, you will not agree. but Maybe one day if you manage to go to Komoleon and I can show you my age mates, maybe you will, not, you will not agree with me because they look now much older than I am. So I thank God because of what he's doing to me. Uh, getting education, going to, to high school, becoming a school president, leading around 500 students. You know, it is through God that I got that courage and that quality to lead those people. And God is really working in me. Right now, I can see at least uh, the light at the end of the tunnel because I could have been leading a miserable life right now. My, My elder sister went through FGM, and when she got married at around 12 years, she was mistreated by the husband. She led a very, very miserable life, and right now we are staying with her. So I really thank God for the work that he's doing. I, I don't know what to say, but I thank God.
6: Well, as you know, there's um, many, many more stories that we could tell. One of the things you might want to do tomorrow, if you could come to Baylor Chapel, it would give you an opportunity to hear more of their story. If you are not able to do that, you can uh, access uh, Baylor Chapel through live streaming. Uh, and there's also archives of the Bader Chapel that you might access. Also, uh, Viola, Daniel, and Zippy will be speaking on Wednesday at uh, McClendon Community College, and you can find information about that online, and Brenda can post some things on Facebook as well. The last thing I'd like to say is i would like to inspire all of us to think about long-term service. Um, Zippy is 72 years old, and Daniel is 79 and they have spent their lives well, and they're still spending their lives well. And I want to inspire all of us that life doesn't end at retirement, and it doesn't end at whatever age we might believe, this is my productive years. Actually, the most important thing you might do in your life might be closer to the end rather than the beginning. And I would like to leave us with that thought and with that challenge. That's something that's been seeping deeply within me in these days. Thanks be to God for you all, and thank you for being here with us at Calvary today. Amen.
8: God drove them out east of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life.
9: And Jacob promised,
8: I will look for your salvation, Lord.
9: And Moses exalted,
8: do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the salvation the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. And Job trusted. This will turn out for my salvation.
9: And Hannah gave thanks.
8: My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted high, for I delight in God's salvation.
9: And the psalmist
8: confessed, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And Isaiah affirmed, This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation.
9: And Jeremiah proclaimed,
8: Surely in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel.
9: And Simeon celebrated,
8: My eyes have seen your salvation, for which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. And John the Baptist exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.
9: And the teacher asked, What must I do to inherit eternal life?
8: And Jesus answered, Go and do what the Samaritan did. And Jesus declared to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house. And Jesus taught, Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And Jesus told a parable Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, you will do it. You did it for me. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, enter the kingdom prepared for you since this world was created. And Peter preached, "'Salvation is found in not one else, for there is not another name under heaven given us by which we just be saved.'" And Paul wrote, "'Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here.'" And John dreamed, "'After this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven.'" shouting hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god this is the word of the lord thanks Thanks be
9: be to to god
5: The wonderful grace, grace of Jesus, preaching the all of sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise, praise begin? Taking, taking away, away my, my burden, burden, setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus. for all the, the matchless grace, grace of Jesus. Jesus. Deeper, Deeper than the, the mighty, mighty rolling, sea, sea, rolling sea. Higher than the devil, mountains, sparkling so like the fountain. So all sufficient, sufficient grace for even, me, for even me. Broader than the scope the of, of my transgression, Sing it, greater Praiser, than, than all my sin, sin and shame. shame. I sin oh, and shame. Oh, oh, magnify the, the precious name of Jesus. Praise Him. grace of Jesus reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder giving me liberty for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, all-sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgression, seeing it greater far than all my sin and shame, and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise. Grace of Jesus reaching the most defiled, by his transforming power, making him God's dear child, purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaching. For the matchless grace grace of of Jesus Jesus. Jesus. Deeper than the mighty mighty rolling sea sea. Higher than the mountains pouring like a fountain All sufficient grace for for even me Broader than the scope of my transgression, sing it. Greater for than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise his name.
10: since I sang those hymns. It's been a while for most of us, I bet. If you grew up like I did as a Baptist, however, you would have sung them often, and I could tell everybody knew the harmonies and the echoes and lots of us, unless you're a millennial or some unfortunate thing like that, right? You know, we, we Baptists sang our creed, didn't we? It, it, it sort of got uh, ensconced in our heart that way and in our mind and lives. And we s- sang a creed that was pretty simple in a way. It was that we needed Jesus. And so we sang about Jesus and how Jesus saved us. And as you think back on that and how it sounded, how do you remember it? What do you, what do you think of it now? So the songs were our creeds, weren't they? We were confessing as we sang when we all get to heaven or down at the cross. Or since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy, oh oh my soul, while the sea billows. And we'd all go, row and hold it out way too long. And then since Jesus came into my heart, what was the theology that was being birthed into you through all of that? If you experienced that and you weren't some unfortunate millennial soul. I'm just saying, it, it worked for lots of us. I mean, when I think back, anyway, as uh, many Baptists do, salvation was, was primarily, I think, a personal thing. It was about me, about you, about our destiny, your destiny, and mine. To be sure, it was about new life. And sometimes being happy all the day, as one refrain promised. But central to that theme really was, I think, if we were to sit in a circle, we would probably all, amen, it would be unanimous that it was about the forgiveness of sin and the prize of life everlasting. And if we didn't pick up all that from the hymns, the frequent evangelistic sermons and the invitations to trust Jesus and say it with me as our personal Lord and Savior, personal Lord and Savior, right? Those sermons and those invitations made our theology of salvation pretty clear. That was salvation, and when it happened, it happened in a moment, didn't it? How often were you asked growing up, when were you saved? When did you get saved? We sang this Sunday night, it's kind of a camp song, but we would do it on Sunday night, didn't make it into the Sunday morning. Uh, routine, but it was it was on a Monday. Somebody touched me, and you had to stand up on your day, right? When when you got saved, it was on a Tuesday, stand up. And and if if you didn't remember where and when, and I I'm not teasing one bit. If you didn't remember where and when, your salvation was a, a bit suspect, right? This was our theology of salvation, our soteriology, as seminarians like to say it. And it could be condensed into this creed, into gospel tracts, right? Four spiritual laws that actually made clear what we believed about our condition and what needed to be done to remedy that. We were clear around what salvation was and who had it and who didn't. And as I've said through this series... Clarity in a community is not a bad thing at all. It typically is a good thing, and especially in the early stages of the faith faith journey, it's absolutely essential, but it can become a problem and, and will be a problem if our clarity is not really surrounded by and held by wisdom. Being clear about doctrines can never become a substitute for the mysteries those doctrines are trying to point us to and lead us into just so much more always going on and that's why i wanted us to read this sort of salvific tapestry of scripture a few moments ago you know we could have actually read for hours you do know that don't you just get your concordance out and begin to look at it uh it, w- it would take days to read all the text where salvation save your, save is used Every page of Scripture has some reference to what it means to be made right with God or made whole or rescued or see the righteousness of God come to be in Israel's story, in the wisdom text, in all the prophets in the Gospels. How many times does Jesus talk about eternal life, the kingdom of God? And it doesn't take uh, a seminary degree to read those and figure out he's not even primarily talking about longevity over Jordan. Paul and the other apostles, hardly a paragraph goes by that they're not exploring these words and these ideas. We find them on every page, and with a little bit of careful reading, just a little bit of honesty, you you see that these words, you could hear it a moment ago, are used in all sorts of ways. And we begin to pick up on the fact that there's a fullness about salvation, a fullness that's being expressed page by page and book by book that just is not captured by it was on a Monday and somebody touched me and I'm pretty much good to go now through the pearly gates. The biblical word on this very central subject is much, much larger than that and it has also been much, much larger than that in the Christian tradition. You are aware that people think differently about salvation, different things about getting saved as we called it at North Lake Baptist Church. And you see this historically in theological movements, time periods, cultures. And as I've been saying in this this series, moderate Baptists seem to have opened up to what was for many of us new thinking that was really old thinking. So our changes really have been more about reclaiming or recovering. We got up, remember, in this uh, garage sale that was going to happen, this post-denominational yard sale. We got up in the attic, and we found lots of things, and one of them was a fuller way of understanding salvation. So follow me. We, we realized, I think, we've come to proclaim that there are many ways of understanding the meaning of God was in Christ reconciling the world, as Paul put it. As I wrap up this series, I want to highlight a few of those and connect them to Scripture a little bit. We, we, we do have a Sunday school class. If you want to argue about this and fight about it and explore it next week, the intergenerational class will be reflecting on this sermon. But I just want to give you a, a taste this morning of what some of us have found as we have opened our hearts to what it means when we say we got saved or we're being saved, God's saving the world. In addition to reading through Scripture, I think that's helpful to do and asking what, you know, salvation is happening in any given text. I also think, by the way, it's a good thing to read your own heart for a moment because here's my theory. I think there's a spiritual DNA in every one of us, and I mean sort of in you and in me, and it may not be the same in, in each of us. Maybe some familiar DNA here and there in this heart and that heart, so that there are things that resonate with you in your being because of the way you came out of the womb as a child of God. So my question first, before we turn to some scriptures, what do you really need from your maker? Or what's the real problem in the world when you look at the world? Or in life, or your life, or your heart, what is it that needs saving You know, if you sit and listen a bit to people, you'll hear a lot of different things, different kind of answers to to those questions. And most everything you hear, you'll find not only in Scripture, but in some Christian theological tradition. So, for instance, many Christians in the West, particularly those of an evangelical variety, meaning us, will tell you that the real problem is actually in us. And it's our guilt, and, and that's the big conundrum. We're, we're sinners who have lived in disobedience to God. We're fallen. Sound familiar? The soul is diseased, maybe, or even depraved. We're in debt, insolvent, as Karl Bart said. And so we live in condemnation, having fallen short of the glory of God, as Paul says it in Romans. We're guilty. And so in the Christ event, it's costly forgiveness that is offered while we were yet sinners, right? Getting saved is about me and what my sin has cost God. And this is bearing part of the biblical truth, isn't it? There's a weight to be lifted. Behold, the Lamb of God takes it away, the sin of the world. A a grace to receive. There's that and by which we're made right in some way. That's what many of us have named salvation along the way. And especially what most evangelicals are preaching and singing about this morning in church. But others, you know, if you ask them what they need from their maker as serious followers of Jesus and those who give attention to Scripture... they they wouldn't probably talk mostly about personal sin so much as they would about freedom and about liberation. And they'd quote the prophets a lot. It's all over Scripture. And they would quote Luke a lot. And Jesus, where he's referring to the Hebrew Scriptures, he has come, Luke says, remember, to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners and the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of Jubilee, which is the Old Testament way of saying we're just going to turn the whole system of power upside down. It's a different kind of salvation, isn't it? It's all over Scripture, though at Northlake Baptist Church I never sang a single hymn about it. Not one that I recall. It's the song Mary sings. God has brought me down. God has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. I didn't sing about it. She did. I sang about a different theology. You see the difference? Because. With this stuff, the problem's not so much in us and our guilt as it is in history. It's the world's sickness, really. And God has come to us in Christ to make things right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, finish it with me on earth as it is in heaven. It's all over the Bible apocalyptic vision of a new heaven and a new earth it's saint francis it's bonhoeffer it's martin luther king jr it is zippy and daniel and lots of folks sitting here in these pews who get it when paul writes the whole creation is groaning it's hurt it's it's anticipating hoping awaiting to see us finally become god's children and if if this dna is in you when you hear Jesus talking about the least of these, your soul is stirred. See the different streams flowing through the church? God and Christ reconciling the world. And many of you, when you first heard that perspective, there was just a big amen. And you said, that's salvation. But not all of you. It's not that you didn't value those, these other two. But, you know, it, it really wasn't home base for you. When you read the story of Nicodemus, who, who seems to have a problem with his self. You remember John 3, he's, go, he's looking for something, he's hungry for something, and it's in the night, it's in, it's in the darkness. It's like there's something inside him, wanting to be known, waiting to be born. Something missing for Nicodemus. And it's, it's not You know, that he doesn't know the right doctrine, or he doesn't believe the right things, or do the right things. He does all that, but he is longing for something that is elusive, some sense of who he is, and lots of you know that longing. That's the hunger for you. That's what you need from your maker, to somehow finally be authentically who you've been made to be, and you love it when you read Luke 15. The prodigal's there in life's pig pen, and he comes to himself. And you get it fly of the rich young ruler who is so trapped and clinging so much to the stuff of life that he can't let go and receive anything else. And you resonate maybe most of all when you read Paul and he says, I can't do what I want to do. I just keep doing the same old stuff like some kind of puppet. That's you and, and that's the ache in your heart, this ache for wholeness. You know the earliest theologians of the church wrote about this all the time? need for this becoming in us, and they called it the theosis of man. It's, it's all over the place, the first centuries of the church. They love saying, he became what we are that he might make us what he is. Jesus was the template. Jesus was the one uh, who showed us what abundant life was about. His path was to be our path to death and resurrection into wholeness. And when you hear that, you say amen, don't Getting saved, you know, for folks in this perspective, it's it's finally coming to live in what's true about you, your essence. It's a big deal in Eastern Christianity. It's all over the place so that in, in, in half the world, the gospel is medicinal and it is not judicial like it has been in the West. It's about our wholeness. Half of Christianity knows this. And lots of us have been drawn there by the mothers and fathers, of the church and by mystics and monastics and by more contemporary spiritual folks Thomas Merton and Nowen and Foster and Willard and by a DNA (laughs) it's just in us so when we hear Jesus say to find yourself you're gonna have to lose yourself we think we know pretty sure what he's talking about see how it is how large and wonderful our salvation really is, how in Christ God is meeting us all, saving us and all creation. It's in Scripture, in tradition, in our hearts, this messianic tapestry. And we're being woven into it, each life, this brilliant thread in God's kingdom. And you pick up on those threads woven together when you look at it and you see these these themes. I've connected with them. In a lot of ways, but I, I've known another one too. The problem in this way of thinking about salvation isn't guilt, the need to have one's sin removed, although that, that's there. I mean, it's not history and the world's oppression, although it's there. It's not even the small self and an ache for somehow finding the true self. It's really, the problem really, it's more the cosmos and whether or not we even belong in it. Some of us in the room feel lost in space. Like we wandered off from home along the way and we can't find our way back or worse like we never were there to begin with. Folks who have this DNA when we're with other Christians, sometimes we feel very alone. It's it's sometimes the loneliest moment with some kinds of Christians. That's the ache. The writer of Ecclesiastes, of course, would be the one to address this. Eternity seems to be placed in our minds, it's written, but we aren't quite sure what God has been up to from beginning to end. There's this kind of vague remembrance of what is hidden with Christ and God, There's something there, as Paul wrote in Colossians. It's this kind of dis-ease in the world. It's that question that emerges, I think, from the soul when you look up at the Stars, and, and you say with the psalmist, who, who am I really? That you are mindful of me, and lots of days you aren't sure how that gets answered. It's no doubt, I think, what Jesus in a million moments knew, but he, he was misunderstood, right? And the prophet said he was acquainted with grief. I think he was very acquainted with this kind of existential desert loneliness. Why have you forsaken me? I'd bet if, if chaplains could bet. I'd bet a paycheck that that was on the cross not the first time he quoted that psalm. Why have you forsaken me? By the time I got to Baylor's a young man, I think I was there. I know there were emerging questions for anyone that age that weren't easily answered, but at a deeper level, I, I think I knew the struggle of those Israelites' exiled, identified with that story and with Jacob wrestling with God in the dead of night the sense that I wasn't home, kind of like Dorothy or E.T. I'd lay in bed at night and kind of ache and ask questions of the universe, and the universe seemed awfully silent, crickets. With this DNA, we sort of know what it means to be out east of Eden And why in the world is there a forbidding sword? Did you hear it swinging back and forth in front of it, keeping us away from it? We know the longing to belong and the ache that accompanies it. But there are moments, aren't there? Paul Jones, whose book really helped me with his sermon, talks about sacramental apertures or foretaste of glory divine, I think is the way the Baptists would say it. These moments that come, these these moments of grace it's friendship or laughter or conversations it's some moment of depth and love and beauty and bliss or worship that seem to lift us up a bit you know how that feels it's wonderful saving reprieves from daily and deep angst it just seems to be your lot thomas kelly the contemporary quaker gets at this The life of God is breaking through the world. The eternal is at work in the midst of time bringing all things to God's self. And it really is literally life-saving. I remember decades ago, my heart leaping the first time when I read Paul Tillich saying, we only want to show you something that we have seen and tell you something that we have heard that here and there in the world and now and then in ourselves, there's a new creation. To be in Christ, I think the way Paul understands it, it's not a propositional place. It's not just some theory of atonement. It is an ontological reality to be a new creation. John, you know, in in Revelation, there's so many amazing pictures. One of my favorite one is this visionary scene where the apostle hears someone saying to the one who overcomes I will give a clear, smooth stone on which will be written their secret name known only to God. we we'll finally know the veil gets lifted. That's Pauline language too. The veil is lifted and we know as we have been known we belong and when we belong it is saving. Get a glimpse now of the depth and breadth and we could go on for months with this text. And that one, letting us know that salvation is so many things and we'd hear your stories of salvation like we did theirs and you'd know that Christ plays in 10,000 places, Hopkins wrote, right? Christ meets us all and meets us everywhere, meets us here and now. Because salvation is about receiving grace for our sin It is about justice and the coming of God's kingdom on earth. It is about being transformed into Christ's likeness. And it is about making our way home. It's about the redemption of all things and everything. And in these days, thanks be to God, we're being able to affirm that. As Paul says, I think our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Nearer to us. So let's keep proclaiming it claiming the fullness of it, maybe even write some more hymns and sing about it with gusto, declaring again with all the saints, and I mean all of them, the salvation of our God. O Lord, you are our Savior. In ways we can't begin to name or even know, We have no idea all the ways your hand has reached into life and stories, presented us with the thing that we have needed in that moment, the grace that we, we needed to know. We trust that somehow that all is about your love in our lives and what it means to be redeemed. Help us open our hearts to the fullness of all of it again this day. Let us receive it. Let us trust again in the gospel. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We'll sing together as we respond as a family of faith and as followers of Jesus. Together in a hymn of commitment. Our our ministers will be at the back. If there's something you'd like to talk about or maybe pray about, maybe a decision that needs to be made today, they'll greet you in the back as we stand and sing.
5: Surprise! Oh <laughs> and sound in you and you in me lord your summons echoes true Thus I move and live and grow in you and do
11: God who comes to us in our great joys in our crushing sorrows, and in our life day to day. Be with us now as we share ourselves with one another in this time of prayer and dedication. We offer the gift of our hearts to you for your kingdom here as it is in heaven. We offer the gift of our time and talent to you for your kingdom here as it is in heaven. We offer the gift of our money and resources to you for your kingdom here as it is in heaven. God who created all of us for your glory, help us to glorify you through the gifts we offer, our prayers of love, our songs of adoration, and our hearts of thanksgiving. Teach us to glorify you when our gifts are less thoughtful, our greedy thoughts, our foolish words, our unkind actions. Remind us that, Every good and perfect gift is from you, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Our hope is in you. Our salvation comes from you. Thank you for these bountiful gifts. God, you are speaking to us. Break through our slumbering. Break through our apathy. Break through our self-centeredness. Break the veil over our minds. Quicken our hearing, quicken our seeing, quicken our desires for you, awaken our zeal for you, awaken our love for your purposes, awaken our desires for your kingdom to come here as it is in heaven. Awaken to us, our Lord and our God, through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.
9: A few closing announcements. Lent is almost here, and our Ash Wednesday service is coming up on Wednesday night. We hope you will make plans to be here for that time together at six o'clock. A very family friendly service. We hope everyone will participate. Also, if you're not going to be out of town next weekend, we are going to be taking a group down on Saturday to the Community First Village in Austin where Bethany Bear Hebbard serves, Um, and we love to bring a group from Calvary. We've got uh, several more spots available, so talk to me after the service or email me if you'd like to be a part of that. Zippy, Daniel, Viola, we are so grateful that you were here today, and what a joy it's been to meet you and to hear your story, so thank you so much. And please stand and join us for this benediction.
10: My brothers and sisters, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love will have the capacity together with all of God's people to discern the height and the depth, the length and the breadth of God's love for you, that you might know this love, that it's really beyond all knowing that you might be filled with all the fullness of our God.